Good morning on a cold Wisconsin morning. Holy cow. Let's pray. Father, thank you for speaking to us. We ask you that you will cause our hearts to grasp or be grasped by your very life and your thoughts. As we walk out of here today, God, help our foundation be solely on the rock of Jesus Christ. Let your church arise in this whole area to the glory of God all over this city and all over this world. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. One of the most important foundations of our faith has to do with what we believe to be true about God's love for us. Um, Here's a newsflash from the Bible. The Bible claims that God is wildly in love with you and me. (laughs) And not only as individuals, but he's wildly in love with his church in the world. And we are intimately connected with everyone that's part of the body of Christ, not just those that attend this location in the world. We are loved by God, not because we've earned it. In fact, you don't want anything to do with what you've earned from God. God loves us because he chose to set value on us. He loves us because he thinks of us as his treasures. (laughs) How do we know that? We know for one reason uh, that we were planned by God. I mean, you and I might have been a surprise to mom and dad, (laughs) but not to God. He knew you were coming and he planned for you to come here. In fact, the psalmist wrote, Psalm 139, He says, God, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. He's referring to when he was in his mom in her womb. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, you were watching me. I mean, this is before you went to a first church service or passed out your first tract. Right? All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. He says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count how many times you think about me, they would outnumber, those thoughts would outnumber the grains of sand. Do you ever try to count sand, grains of sand? Half of a cup would last you about a day of counting. What he's saying is, God never stops thinking about us. And he says, that's why when I awake, I'm still with you. The psalmist is telling us, that God, before we, before we showed up here, that God had us in mind. And that he not only had us in mind, he was engaged in the process of us being formed in our moms. He actually goes on to say, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And he basically is saying that God had chosen us to be in this particular time in history, in this particular place in the world. And he did it so that we could become part of his meta-narrative, part of his story That he's telling in the world. God brought you here on purpose. Is what this tells us. In Ephesians 1 it says. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. (laughs) That means that you're not an accident. It means that, that we're on purpose. It means that on some level. We're part of a dream that God had before the world even began. In other words you are a dream come true. For God. God's dream come true. So cool. 
before you arrived here, God had full knowledge of your potential best and full knowledge of your potential worst, you little slimy thing, you. And he still chose to create you. God's an absolute realist. He knows. He knows exactly what you and I are going to turn out like. He knows exactly how high our watermarks would be and how low they would get. And he still chose to create us. He still chose to chase us. We're his treasures. That's why the Bible's chock full of verses like this. This is out of the Amplified Version, Zephaniah 3. And by the way, Zephaniah is a little obscure Old Testament book that Zephaniah will probably come up to you in eternity and ask, did you read my book? (laughs) So get on that right away. All right? But here in Zephaniah, Zeph goes, The Lord your God is in the midst of you, a mighty one, a Savior who saves. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will rest in silent satisfaction. And in his love, he will be silent and make no mention of past sins or even recall them. He will exalt over you with singing. Think of that. That God's actually singing. And this text implies he's dancing over you. There's something about you that just he really likes. Something about us that he really likes. The closest he can get, I think, is like a little baby or something. You have a grandkid or a little infant that you have. You can kind of just love on them and enjoy them. Something about the fact that, that, that we are, are so precious to God that he literally, the scripture's telling us, sings over us. Finding the right words to capture this idea that God, the kind of love that God has for us is difficult because we use the word love so freely. We throw it around to so many things. You know, I say, I love ice cream. You know, I love dogs. I love my mom. I love my wife. I love pizza. I love God. And hopefully uh, you don't love God like you love ice cream or your wife like you love your dog. (laughs) You know, these things are different kinds. But we only have one word that we use. Well, in the Greek New Testament, they had a number of words. And they were faced with the same challenge. How do we begin to define this kind of love that God has that was revealed to us through Jesus Christ? Jesus surprised the world. The world was a very different place. Even the old covenant, very different kind of view. You only see God in bits and pieces. But when Jesus comes, we see God in the exact representation of his nature. And it, and it, and it was surprising what God was like. And so the, the New Testament writers were trying to figure out how do we, how do we describe This love that God has for people, how do we communicate it to a world that doesn't get it, that that it's it's fairly obtuse, obscure, hard to get? How do we define it? How do we share it? And so they, they, they grabbed a word that meant love, but it was used, it was a very obscure word, it wasn't used very much in the old world, in the ancient world, and they grabbed it and they started using it to define the kind of love that God has for people. It was an old Greek word. Did anybody take a guess at what it might be? Some of you remember? It's agape. We know it familiar now, but back then it wasn't. This word agape, agape simply defined... It means that it's a kind of love that's based more on the person loving than on the object or the person being loved. In other words, when God loves us, it isn't that he's going along and he gets rubbernecked by looking at us and going, oh my gosh, look how wonderful they are. They are so, I mean, have you ever seen such wonderful action? And activity? God, doesn't get, God isn't pulled by us. God instead chooses to look for us and set value and preciousness on us because it's in his heart to love. 
And so they try to define that, to describe that. And, and this agape love is characterized by unconditionality. In other words, it's, it's given without condition. It, it's, it's, it's characterized as being unmerited. You can't earn it or merit it. It's, it's characterized by, as being incautious, reckless, really. Because it just sets value on people without any respect to what they're doing. It's God just loving. And, and it's described by Jesus in Matthew 5. He talks about us and our relationships with, with people. And he says, you need to love people who don't love you. You need to be caring for people who don't care about you. And he uses the example. He says, like the sunshine shines on the just and the unjust. And the rain comes to the, to the ones that are right and the ones that are not right. Uh, that are evil, that are good and that are evil. Jesus said, that's what your father's like. He's like the sunshine. The sunshine doesn't differentiate. I mean, you can go out in the sun, any one of us can. And if you're ugly or you're cute, if you're wonderful or a total toad, if you go out in the sun, everybody gets sun done. If you go out in the rain, everybody gets rained done. What he, Jesus is saying, this is what your father's like. He's recklessly in love with people. Now, now this, was, this was a radical kind of concept. Realize that the world that Jesus came into was a world that valued certain virtues. If you possessed virtues, you were worthy of love. If you did not possess certain virtues, you would, it would be wrong to love you. And so their whole thing was about, is that person worthy of being loved? If they're not, shun them. And it's appropriate to shun them. It's just to shun an unvirtuous person. Right, And so one of the things that made the pagans laugh at Christianity early was a story from the Gospels. And it was so laughable that many people rejected Christianity out of hand and they thought it was ridiculous. And the story was of a guy named St. Dismas. You remember the guy that hung on the cross with Jesus. He was one of the criminals. And he's going to the cross and he's hanging. He deserved to be hung. He deserved to die. There was nothing virtuous about him. There was no time for him to start a virtue campaign. He was going to die and he was hopeless. And yet Jesus, as he's dying on the tree next to him, looks at this guy and says to him, Today... You will be with me in paradise. And the pagans heard that and went, Duh! How stupid is that? How can you set value so recklessly on someone so unworthy of it? And so the, the gospel was sort of shunned because it was too embracing, too inclusive. But that is the message of God. That God loves everybody. <laughs> it's, it's this incautious, reckless, why don't we try to take advantage of it kind of love that captures agape at its best. But human culture is not built on this concept. Human culture, we're in a world that runs on performance. We're in a world that those who perform well get the prize. We're in a world of retribution. If you're good, you get good. If you're bad, you get bad. If you're beautiful, you get privilege. If you're not, you don't. And it doesn't take long for us and for our kids to figure out that if we don't watch our P's and Q's, we'll never get ahead. Our friendships are based on performance. We're treated based on how we act, what we have, how we look. 
We go to school, we get rewarded or rejected on the basis of performance. We go to our job place and we get, we get either uh, rewarded and promoted or rejected on the basis of our performance. And we live in a world of performance. It is not a reflection of agape. It's still true, you still have to perform well in life. But it's not, if we're not careful, we'll think God's like our boss or God's like our teachers or God's like others who expected performance. And we, we, we think what God's after is like the old ancient pagans thought of God, that we have to sort of appease him and do stuff for him and sacrifice for him and try to catch his attention and maybe just get him on a good day. Because we don't want him sending a volcano. Dude. Right? And we put that off on God. And that's one of the reasons faith can get gnarly is because we're trying to figure out how do we connect with God. We get confused and we allow our world and the relationships of our world to paint what God's like and it's a wrong picture. The closest thing that we have in human life that comes even near the concept of agape love is the love of a parent for a little child. Well, in their innocence, we just love them because they are. And we just, we're not because of what they do because they can't do anything. But we love them, and, it, and, and we love them, and, but it doesn't last forever. It only lasts a while. I mean, we love them even if they, you know, do stupid stuff like throw up on us or poo their pants. We still love them. But you know, that phase, I mean, if you've got an eight-year-old that's throwing up on you and pooing their pants, it ain't cute anymore. <laughs> right? So we only catch a little glimpse of that, right, in our context. But, but what we have to understand is that that you and I need to catch a glimpse of the kind of relationship, the foundation of the why that we are dreamed up by God and the why that we are in sacred time and in a sacred place and, and, and we have to understand that the whole way that we act in our lives needs to be in response to the fact that we're being pursued and being connected to a dream that he has and if we don't get that right, we'll never really grasp the kind of love that God wants to have in us and flash through us to a dying world. Now, it may be better not to say, try to grasp it. Maybe we ought to say, it ought to grasp us. It's so counterintuitive, the way God thinks about us. In Ephesians 3, Paul says we need God's help to understand his love. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth derives his name. I'm praying that out of his glorious riches, he'll... He'll strengthen you with power through His Holy Spirit inside you. Because something's got to happen inside you to get what's, going to ha- what's supposed to happen here. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I'm praying that you guys will be rooted, means that your, your very life is centered in it, and established in love. I'm praying that God, that you'll have the power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Why? So that you can be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. You know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, this is so out of perspective and out of human context that we need God's help for us to understand that he's really after us, that he loves us, and that we're part of something he dreamed. If we can, if we can let that grasp us, we need, we need an epiphany. We need a, an aha moment. This is, we're celebrating in the Christian calendar is this is the month of epiphany of six weeks since the beginning of, of January. And, and epiphany, it, what that means is it's kind of like, you know, you ever watch a movie that's fairly complex and, and as you're watching it, you can't figure out what's going on. You can't figure out how the plot line's going. And all of a sudden, you get to a point in the movie where it all comes together and you go, oh, ha. oh, I get it. See? See, somewhere in your life, 
multiple places in your life, I believe. We need to come to spots where God helps us to go, Oh, I get it. I'm part of what you're doing. You care for me. We need an aha moments or aha moments, plural, in our lives. When we start to grasp the reality that God does not love you any more or any less based on what you do. That he would not love you more if your name was Billy Graham. He would not love you more if you had been done everything Mother Teresa did. He wouldn't love you more. He might be a little happier with you. But he would not love you more. He would not love you less if your name was Ted Haggard. Romans 5, 8 says, But God proves, demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still, what? Sinners, Christ died for us. You know what he's saying? The foundation of why God loves us, why he sends the sunshine and the rain, why he's incautious and reckless, the foundation of why God loves us is not what we do or don't do. It isn't like God looks at you and he sees you, you know, are you repenting? Really hard. Oh my goodness. Look at her repenting. She's actually crying. I think I'll forgive her. It's amazing how, oh, oh my, look at the read. And he's actually listening to the message this morning. Oh, I love you more. God is not loving us based on us. God is loving us based on Jesus. What he did. And so when God thinks of us, what we do is a small matter to what Jesus did. And in reality, if you're not careful, if you think God loves you more because of what you do, You're really, maybe not realizing it, but you're really cheapening the cross. Because you're saying, God, you should love me because I'm really diligent this week. I didn't even, I didn't even eat that extra piece of pie. You should really, if if you're not careful, you'll think, if you think God loves you based on what you do, all you're really saying is, my actions catch your attention more than the actions of Jesus Christ. That's not a good foundation. That's not a good place to be. What we have to understand is God loves us, period. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. He will not love you less or more based on what you do. If you never came back to church, God still loves you. That doesn't mean you'll be happy. And I know Pastor Mark would not be happy. If you never tithe, God would love you. If you never thought about missions, God would love you. If you, if you, you know, if you're not careful, even though those things are very, very important, you've got to understand they don't earn love. They do other things beyond our discussion this morning, but they don't earn love. He is just wild about you. He is hopelessly in love with you, period. If you never get this right, he'll still be wild about you. It's the way God is. He's always in hot pursuit of us. In Revelations 3, he's talking to the churches and a lot of them are all messed up. And, 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 and you can hear him saying, oh, I can't even use you. I've got to spit you out of my mouth. I can't even use you. And he said, even though that was true, in Revelations 3, he says to them, even though that's true, here I am. I sit at the door and I knock. You've pushed me out. <laughs> I'm not even in the place that I'm supposed to be Lord of. But I'm going to knock outside of the place and I'm going to continue to pursue you. And if you hear my voice and just open the door, I will come in and we'll, we'll chow down. We'll eat together. We'll fellowship together. We'll be together. Why? Because God's always in pursuit of us. Why? Because we matter to him. When this gets you or you get it, Something happens in you that's pretty sweet. And here's what it is. It's 1 John 4. We love him because what? 
He first loved us. Everybody say, we love him? Because he first loved us. Thomas Aquinas, the brilliant theologian in the Middle Ages, said, he described God's activity. And he said that God in his nature is so loving that he released creation. He, he did creation. He called that gesture of creation. He called that the exodus is the Latin phrase he used. And it, it meant that God was releasing into the world for a creative power. But he said that that force didn't just go out. It actually comes back. It boomerangs back to him. And, and the Latin phrase he used to refer to that was the reditus. And he defined God as the one who released exodus. And, and that creation as it's created releases back toward God reditus. So that there's this rhythm of God loving and creation loving back. And so the idea here is if you want to love God more, don't look within yourself, but look for his exodus. Look for his loving gesture. Look for his son and his reign. And as you come into the son and the reign of God, it will automatically cause you to love him back. If you're not loving God, it's because you've forgotten he loves you. I need a volunteer here. Come on up, bro. Can you come? Not a volunteer. Yeah, I'm electing you. You're not volunteering at all. Okay, now watch this. Now let me see. Can you see him? Look at here. All right. Now I don't want you to blink your eyes. Okay? Keep your eyes open. Oh, you blinked. Okay, try not to. Oh, you blinked again. Try it again. You blinked again. Why? Because it's an autonomic response. He will blink. Let me show you another thing. Come here. All right, sit here. Good. Good. Let me do this. Watch, just relax your leg. Completely relax it. Let it relax. Okay, good, good, good. Oh, oh look at that. Do you see that? Don't do that. Watch. Oh, no, relax. You can't tighten. Oh, see that? You know what? Here's the fact. If he gets hit, he responds. He responds. <laughs> if he gets hit, he responds. Say, thanks. Go. Thanks. Now watch. Loving God is not doing this or this. God, you want me to love you? Hi, I'm a Christian. You want to serve Jesus with me? That's not Christianity. Christianity is coming to the spout where he's poking at you. And you're going, oh. And then he's hitting you. And you're going, oh. Christianity is not our responsibility. It's our response to God's ability. The reason I come to pray is because I get hit. The reason we come to church is so we get hit. It's not because we're doing it to make God love us more. The reason we give is because we realize, oh my gosh, he's the one that gave me the capacity to earn. And I want to, it just, it's a, we love him because. Yeah. If you're not loving God very much, don't get mad at yourself. Run until you get a clear image of his love. Because once you get it, you'll start blinking and kicking. <laughs> now let me shut up with this. There's two reasons why I think we have a hard time with this love of God stuff. One is, is because we don't understand his value for us. Because when we look in the mirror, we get thrown. The mirror doesn't tell us we're the fairest one of all. 
I mean, some of you he does, and there's a whole other litany of problems. There's another service for that. <laughs> but most of us, we, we, we don't understand that when God calls us into the world, that he jacks us with potential. That we don't look like he ultimately knows we will look if we cooperate with his kicking and blinking. That if we, if we come and we get, we get under and covered and buried in the love of God, that some stuff will start coming out of us that will be amazing, that will be surprising to us. But we look at our lives and we think, I suck. Right? You know, you may look in the scripture, it's, it's like I want to buy this, beautiful flowers, right? You buy this, you're thinking, stink. I'll buy some flowers for my wife. Right? So you buy the flowers and... To your surprise, if you don't know how this works, you open up the back, and instead of those beautiful flowers, you see this. And you think, false advertising. (laughs) How in the world, it doesn't smell like this, it'll probably smell. Right? Some of you, this is, this is you. (laughs) But you'll think it's false advertising if you don't get that you've got to take this and or you've got to take this and bury it, cover it up, and in time, this will come out of this. God didn't make junk from you out of you. You're not junk. You're not trash. You're not a mistake. You may really look horrible right now. <laughs> and you may look like there's just nothing going on. And you might smell like something not good. But that doesn't mean God doesn't love you and doesn't have a plan. Don't get thrown by the issue of potential. Just try to find the spot where you can get buried in the love of God until stuff comes out of you that surprises you. And then secondly, we miss God's love because we don't understand how he responds to our weakness and how he responds to our sin. God is not thrown by your sin. He was thrown by your sin. That's why he came to die. But he's already died and he rose again, which means now sin is not the problem. Belief is the problem. Trust is the problem. Trusting the head of the church, Jesus, that's our problem. We're not supposed to clean ourselves up. We're supposed to come to him who cleans us up. That's why John writes, he says in 1 John 1, if we just confess our sins, that's all. You don't have to be real sorry about it. You'll be sorry once you start experiencing love. Sorrow will come out. But but you just need to confess your sins. If you just say, God, I'm an idiot. I did this. It's stupid. It's wrong. He is faithful. Everybody say faithful. It means he'll do it every time. He'll forgive you every time. And just, which means he set up justice to demand it. To forgive you of all your sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Let me give this little example. I have a $50 bill. $50 bill, a little torn there. How many of you would still take it from me? Really? Why? It's torn. Why would you take it? Still worth 50 What about this? my sweat off <laughs> sullied how many of you still take it right what if I blew my nose with it
of you would still take it. Why? If I ripped it? Don't call the uh, police on me there. How many, how many would, I mean, it's ripped. All right, how about if we used it for a pooper scooper for your dog? Let's say he's been through all that. Right? Would anybody want this? Why? Still worth it. I crinkled it up, it's still worth it, isn't it? Right? Here, dude. Wash it, though. Listen, it doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter how you've been ripped off. It doesn't matter what pit you've been in. It doesn't matter who has stepped on you. It doesn't matter if you're full of snot. It doesn't change your value. It doesn't change your value. God has made you and he set value on you. One last thought. Mark Hamill. How do you remember him? He was the uh, actor that played Luke Skywalker. Right? In the uh, um, Star Wars series. Did the first movie. Did really well. Baby face. Cute kid. He becomes Luke Skywalker. Masters the force. And uh, his, his whole career is kicked off. Good looking guy. And after the movie, he signed another TV series, kind of a low budget TV thing, but he was going to do this TV series. His career was starting to explode a little bit. And all of a sudden, the movie went so well that Lucas contacted him back and said, hey, you want to do the sequel? Oh my gosh, the sequel. They're going to pay him more money. He's all excited about it. They're getting ready to do the shoot. He wanted to get out of the TV thing, but the TV producers wouldn't let him out because they were thinking, man, if you're in the second sequel and you're you know, an up-and-coming star, we want you in our TV series. Might give it a little boost of, rating, boost of ratings. And so they, they wouldn't let him out of the contract. And then tragedy strikes. Hamill is in a car accident just days or weeks before the, second, the filming starts for The Empire Strikes Back. He scars his face. He's all beat up and bruised, disfigured a little bit. That does not a good, that's not a good thing if you want to be a movie star. Your face is important. And his face changed. So, what do you do with a scarred up star? Rising star. Well, the TV fast buck people said they got him out of the contract. Didn't want anything to do with him. So what was going to happen with Mark? Lucas had a choice. How do we bring this kid in? He just got a different face. And so he thought, let's, let's change the, something a little bit. And so the opening scene of Empire Strikes Back has this baby-faced, beautiful little actor that was known before, trudging through the snow, face covered up in a, wind, in a snowstorm just outside of Green Bay. <laughs> and he's trudging through, and all of a sudden he runs into this huge snow monster. And remember, the first thing the snow monster does is reach up and hit him across the face. And for the rest of the movie... It makes sense why the scarred, disfigured faced, a little bit non-baby faced returning star fits in this movie. And it actually made the movie better. What if God is more like Lucas than the TV fast buck people? What if God is enthroned by the fact that you've gone through what you've gone through? The divorces, the heartache, the abuse. 
the bankruptcy, the loss of the jobs. And you've been used and you've been abused and you've been scarred and you've been torn. What if God is not only a creator but a redeemer? And what if he's so good? Not only does he not discount you because you've been through crud, but he actually uses the crud to alter the story just a little bit, to make it richer, better, more of a masterpiece. What if that's God? See, the Bible calls this redemption. It's God taking you and your story and taking all the crud that's been in your life and rewriting it larger. Why? Because we matter. Family, you matter. God bless you. Amen. I want to invite the ushers if they would go ahead and come as we prepare for communion this morning and the worship team as they return to the stage. As we just prepare for communion in just a few moments... I'm going to invite each one of us to repeat a very simple prayer after me. A simple prayer of inviting God into our hearts and our lives as our personal Savior. But before I do, what an awesome, beautiful love story. We just heard about a love from Pastor Ed as he shared this love story with us. A love story that for many of us probably today has been a, wow, wow, it all makes sense now. It all makes sense. You know, yesterday I had the opportunity of uh, walking around our mall here in Green Bay. My wife was away at some ladies' conference and enjoying herself at the ladies' conference that I think everybody that went seemed to have a great time. So what do I do when she's gone? Something I hate to do when she's with me, I go to the mall. I still haven't figured that out. But I'm walking around the mall and I'm just watching people. I didn't buy much, I just like to watch the people. Everybody running around because in a couple of days' time we've got uh, Valentine's Day. Focused in on a love that we haven't heard about this morning, a different type of love. They Finding something that they've got to purchase, something they've got to do, something they've got to earn to try and earn or a gift that they've got to give to give to their spouse to, to earn that love. When God's saying to us this morning, you don't have to earn it. It's who I am. It's my love that's being pre- hopelessly in love with you. Hopelessly in love with you. In just a moment, we're going to pray this very simple prayer. And if you're here and you're saying, Pastor Lathan, man, I, I, I want that. I, I, I need to understand God's love. That there's nothing I've done or ever will do, can do, things that I have done, things that, mistakes that I've made, problems, faces that I've, decisions that I've made, but God still loves you. And the Word of God as mentioned a few moments ago, it says that if we f- He is faithful, He is just. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and He is just. He'll forgive us of us and, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this, this morning? I'm going to pray this very simple prayer. And if you're praying this prayer for the very first time this morning, you're praying it from your heart, the Word of God says that there'll be a new beginning in your life. That you'll go from darkness into light. You'll experience the love of God in a, in a new way. In a real wow experience for you this morning. So just repeat these very simple words after me this morning. Dear Lord Jesus, something in my heart tells me I need you. I now confess my sin and repent of my sin. And by faith, ask you to come into my life 
as my personal Savior and my Lord. Amen. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for this love story that we've been reminded of again today. Thank you, Father, that you loved us. We can return love to you because of you first loving us. And it's not about our performance. It's not about what we need to do or how we try and bend our life or change. But, Father, it's because you loved us so much. Thank you, Lord, that there are those this morning that have prayed this simple prayer, accepted you into their life as their personal Savior, creating this new experience, new place in you because of your love, Lord. And we thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen.